0: Welcome to Grain Talk, a podcast by grain farmers of Ontario. I'm
1: Rachel Telford. And I'm Megan Wright. The Grain Talk podcast can be found on Apple iTunes, Google Play and Spotify. Please rate, review and subscribe on your favorite platform. In this
0: episode of Grain Talk, I will speak with Albert Tenuta, field crop plant pathologist with the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs about shifting their crop tours and learning days to online events in the coming weeks. He will also give us an update from the fields and later Megan talks with Marcus Hurl, chair of Grain Farmers of Ontario, for an update on what's
1: happening with our organization. First, a Grain Talk news update. Grain Farmers of Ontario has sent out a new farmer member survey through campaign research. This is a legitimate survey, and we ask that you take 10 minutes to complete the survey. This survey will help Grain Farmers of Ontario gather the data we need to continue our discussions with the government to properly fund business risk management programming. The government responds to individual stories and official data. It is important that we help politicians understand that there are real implications for grain farmers as a result of COVID-19, supply chain disruptions, U.S. competition, and other factors. Your personal information will always remain confidential and anonymous, but the aggregate data of all our farmers will be presented to governments. We will use the data to push both the federal and provincial governments to make good on their promises and to ensure the future of grain farming in Ontario.
0: Wheat harvest is underway in parts of the province and with the dry conditions, farmers need to be aware of the fire risk in their fields and be prepared to react. A spark from a combine or heat from a worn bearing, is all that's needed to start field stubble on fire. To reduce the likelihood and impact of a harvest fire, develop a plan which includes avoidance, preparation, and response components. Avoidance includes keeping equipment well-maintained and working properly, and not parking equipment, including your trucks, on stubble. Preparation involves knowing your 911 address and having the field clearly marked with the number, have a fire extinguisher in all your equipment, and have a large sprayer nurse tank filled with water and ready and waiting by the field. The first action in response is to call 911. Do not put yourself or others at risk. For more tips, go to fieldcropnews.com and read the post, Avoiding, Preparing and Reacting to Harvest Fires, written by Ian McDonald, Vicki Hilborn, and Alex Berry from Omafra.
1: Wheat farmers are also being reminded to take proper health and safety precautions as they deliver their harvest this season. Please remember to protect yourselves and those you work with by practicing social distancing when delivering grain. Contact your delivery point and ask what requirements are expected this harvest season, such as a face mask or covering, or restrictions on building access. This may affect how you bring samples in for moisture checks or how receipts are received. Plan ahead, be patient, and be safe.
0: And now, here's my conversation with Albert Tanuda. Joining me on the Grain Talk podcast this week is Albert Tenuta, field crop pathologist with the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs. Welcome back to the podcast,
2: Albert. Thank you, Rachel, for the opportunity to talk to you as well as uh, your listeners. Thanks. Thanks.
0: We're going to get into some field updates in a little bit, but I want to start our conversation with Southwest Crop Diagnostic Days. It's a popular event for agronomists and crop advisors every summer, but COVID nineteen has impacted your ability to hold this event. So, can you tell us how are you adapting and what is being offered instead of an in-person event?
2: Well, as all of everybody is uh, having to deal with. Uh, you know, COVID-19 has created many unique challenges this year, and you know, foremost, uh, whether it's our Southwest Crop Diagnostic Days or any other OMAFRA events or any events in general, we need to uh, make sure that uh, the safety of all those involved are always the uh, foremost of concern. And the same thing here when it comes to the infield diagnostic days that uh, OMAFRA um, leads uh, in cooperation with the University of Guelph and the local soil and crop associations, and those being the Southwest. Crop Diagnostic Days at Ridgetown, the Allora Crop Diagnostic Day, as well as the Eastern Ontario Crop Diagnostic Day in Winchester. We're going to merge them together into a new provincial diagnostic video series, and we're going to be partnering with Real Agricultural as well as our sponsors, such as the Grain Farmers of Ontario, to bring this in the infield experience that they would see virtual this year.
0: So, what can people expect from this new format? How is it going to work?
2: Well, normally, what we do with uh, our in-field ones is we set up it during July and, and take it across the province. Uh, this year, because we have this opportunity now, not to be confined to a, a certain time period, um, based on 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 you know, the the way to the easiest way to to get the program going, in that is that we can now expand this. Instead of in July, we can expand it through the season. And so this Ontario Virtual Diagnostic Day series will consist of one-hour episodes every two weeks, which will start next Wednesday, July 15th, and run through October 21st. So each episode will highlight a general field crop agronomic theme and will be available through realagriculture.com. And it's also important to remember that although we will be releasing them at a on a schedule, all episodes can be viewed anytime uh, from your tractor at any time of day or night, as well as there will be a podcast version available as well.
0: How do people access the sessions and the podcasts? Do you have to register for them?
2: Yes, so registration, you know, historically these in-person diagnostic days uh, have been a, a great vehicle for Um, certified crop advisors, for instance, to acquire a broad range of continuing education credits. And the CCAs will be able to collect eight CEU credits uh, for this event, um, but they will have to register for the event. So registration is a requirement for those that require or want to have the CEU credits. But new this year, and you you know, new this year, all Grain Farmer of Ontario farmer members can participate in this innovative diagnostic and management series free of charge. And that's thanks to the sponsorship uh, of the Grain Farmers of Ontario. So we greatly appreciate that.
0: You mentioned the programming starts next week. So what topics will be discussed over the coming weeks and who is going to be presenting?
2: Yeah. So what we've set up is over those eight episodes, we will have these primary or general themes they they can change during the season as well depending on what's going on that's another wonderful aspect of of going through the season or extending the information throughout the season is the ability to to adapt or the ability to to deal with problems that are happening in season throughout the season and so starting next next week on July 15th with the first episode the launch it will be through during the real ag live um, uh, broadcast and uh, it will be at 3 p.m. Eastern time on realagriculture.com. And that one is a great opportunity and it, it, it shows, you know, basically our premise for the whole series in that we will be talking primarily soybean and corn management. We'll have Dr. Dave Hooker Field crop agronomist at the University of Guelph Ridgetown campus, as well as our own Omafra soybean specialist, Horse Bonner. And they'll be discussing a lot of the issues that uh, many growers and industry talked about earlier this spring. And you know, we discussed a lot during our Omafra ag breakfast meetings as well. Things such as, you know, planting date. You know, should we have planted? early under those cool wet conditions that we had or cooler temperature conditions. What was the impact in corn and soybeans? You know, what's the impact on planting depths, populations, all of that kind of stuff will be discussed on uh, next next Wednesday, uh, July 15th. And so come and learn from the best and we will continue that throughout uh, the season. And, you know, there'll be myself Tracy Bowdy talking insect diseases and management you know Peter Sickman Mike Cobra on, on the weed management We have our soybean team um, working on on soybeans cover crops you know basically soil snippets these little short videos and that's another um, aspect that is important to, to understand with us and I'm quite um, thrilled about it or excited about it is this ability to put little short um, themed, videos together on a topic that are only maybe three to five minutes as well. And then if there's need for extending information to 10 or 15 minutes, we have that ability. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think the whole OMAFRA field crop team is looking forward to it. And, uh, and uh, you know, we just love this opportunity to, to continue our infield um, extension aspects that we love to do, but maybe virtual in 2020. Basically, we've been given these cards, and and let's see, uh, let's deal with them and uh, make the most of them, most of it.
0: It sounds like the online version of the conference is a lot of extra work for the field day team, given all of the video elements being included.
2: Well, it's um, it's an, a lot of it will be pre-recorded and pre-video tapes Um, you know that first launch will be the uh, there'll be with Dave and horse there there'll be that question and answer period we'll have that interaction the other ones we're still working on um, having that question answer but also potentially just you know releasing them on a a set schedule and then uh, responding to those questions later on as well so there's still some some workarounds that we're 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 dealing with as well but it is a lot of work Um, it probably takes 10 times more effort to do something like this than a normal uh, field day. And I guess that's the other aspect here because of the cancellation uh, of our our field days and a lot of the field days that growers would typically and industry would provide uh, during the summer, those not being able to to proceed this year, this gives us an opportunity to at least try and bring that field experience uh, to everybody in Ontario.
0: Now what about the winter agronomy conferences the events that typically happen in January? Do you know what is happening with them yet
2: well same as what same as what we've had to deal with uh, for the in, in season uh, diagnostic days we We are making um, allowances or or preparations for the potential um, these, the COVID-19 guidelines, public health guidelines to, to potentially continue in that. and that. And so whether we're talking Southwest Ag Conference, the University of Guelph Farm Smart Conference, as well as the Eastern Ontario COP Conference, uh, we are making plans right now and in preparations to combine all three of those also into a virtual experience in the beginning of uh, January, the typical SWAC timeframe.
0: Is it important to plan this far ahead in order to make that shift to an online conference?
2: Well, first of all, it is immensely important. And hence, we've already been at this for two months or more on, you know, on, the, on the possibility of having to go virtual. And it, in, in all fairness, it, it will more than likely go virtual. We're almost at that point. We have to make that call. And, and you're seeing other conferences and other events um, probably already starting to announce that as well. And just just the logistics and the ability to, 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 to get the speakers and record and, and, and have live versus a pre-recorded events and all of that takes a lot of coordination and a lot of planning and time and, and effort. And hence, we are in the process now. We continue, and we, we anticipate we will continue to present our, our high quality uh, winter events. That conference will again have, you know, 35 to 40 uh, topics, what, what you all expect to, to have when you come to, whether you come to Ridgetown, Guelph or Winchester to have that that same exposure to uh, leading um, inform- agronomic information out there that then can be applied to your farm or to your business. And that's paramount to, to anything we do just to make sure that the information is the same if not better than what we normally will and this provides us again greater opportunities to to get that information and and uh, maybe change it up a bit you know in this opportunity here we can now access people globally and bring them into into the the winter conference as well whereas in the past we may have been limited by travel cost to move people over, their time commitments, etc. This, this gives us a, a greater, you know, see it as a positive that we can even bring greater world knowledge and, and, and the, the best people to the Ontario ag industry and to the Grain Farmer of Ontario members.
0: Other than the changes to the conferences, how has COVID-19 affected you this year? Have you been able to continue with the research trials and the different projects that you are involved in?
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, whether you're, you know, whether it's OMAFRA, University of Guelph, etc., the strong uh, COVID-19 um, planning um, has been done and, and guidelines have been initiated. Uh, so everything has to meet public health uh, requirements. And that, and, and it again, as you mentioned about time and and that all of it has required uh, extra time, which is important. As I said, it's it's safety and public safety and safety of all those involved is is critically important Um, so of course we've adapted things such as the diagnostic days and others but you know many of the in-field projects and that are still able to continue under those guidelines and um, and and so there will be um, research generated again whether it's through the university of guelph omafra and industry uh, this year, which is an important piece because we need to have that information to to continue building the sustainability and the long-term competitiveness of the Ontario field crop sector.
0: Now, despite all the restrictions with COVID-19, you have been able to get into the field and you've been making some visits with farmers. I know when we spoke the other day, you mentioned you were headed out to Essex. So, how has the weather been impacting the fields? We've got lots of heat. We've had a lack of rain, thunderstorms bringing intense downpours and flooding to some areas. So, from a disease standpoint, what's it like in the fields?
2: Well, it's interesting. Um, Corn and soybeans are are primarily affected down down this way, both in both in terms of the hot, dry conditions, um, but also in terms of uh, those scattered thunderstorms that keep going right by my house here and hitting uh, other areas uh, and that but um, we've had rains um, from from very from millimeters up to five inches plus um, in the southwest and that's had an impact the first thing you think about when we have those big events we had uh, uh, one a couple of weeks ago 10 days ago or so that brought five inches to to Essex county and whenever we see Essex or um, West Kent um, getting those that amount of rain, we think of phytophthora root rot as the first one, particularly on those heavier clay soils. And then, just you know, like clockwork, seven days, five to seven days after the rain events, the calls started coming in about soybeans that were starting to wilt, starting to droop their their leaves, starting to turn brown, and uh, and well, other parts of the field were going uh, moving forward. And uh, so we went out there this week to take a look at them with with some of the uh, ag retailers. And, and and growers and, and took a look and, and for sure we saw some some phytophthora in in those uh, fields uh, but primarily one that um, keeps coming back and one that I think sometimes uh, we don't we don't pay enough attention to is is fusarium root rot. Um, you know, as far as I'm, you know, I'm concerned, uh, when it comes to Fusarium root rot or that complex of Fusarium root rot, there's a lot of Fusariums, up to seven or eight different ones that we we collect and on uh, can collect on growers' uh, soybean roots um, that are part of this that we don't really fully understand or fully appreciate um, the impact it can have until we get these type of conditions. And we saw the same thing in 2007, 2008. Uh, with Fusarium, it keeps, you know, rearing its head every, you know, every 10 years we see, we see these same type of conditions and, uh, and what we're seeing. So, as I said, we're seeing wilting, we're seeing um, vascular browning or or browning of the root rot, of the roots as well. And the plants are, are wilting from the top down. And those leaves are, are curling on them. And they're also, uh, Um, You know, the one big difference between Phytophthora and and Fusarium is the leaves with Fusarium will drop off, whereas Phytophthora they will primarily stay on.
0: Are there anything that um, farmers can be doing um, when they see these impacts in their fields?
2: In season at this point, there's nothing we can do. It's important, though, for growers or their crop consultants to get out there. And, and scout those fields and, and, and notice, you know, and regardless of whether it's disease, insects, weeds, anything, um, get out there, more knowledge, more information, the better it comes to, to managing in, in season as well as, as the future as well. So, um, we do know that when it comes to fusarium, rhizoctonia, root rot, for instance, those two, we do not have very good uh, resistance or tolerance in our soy soybeans, or we don't even know what we have. Unlike what we see with with Phytophthora root rot or Sudden Death Syndrome or soybean cyst we've got a lot more um, understanding of the genetics and how they um, impact or reduce the, the disease pressure when it comes to uh, to those diseases. But for Fusarium and Rhizoctonia, these root rot pathogens are really hard. To, to develop and, and get uh, a breeding program because they are so dependent on environmental conditions. Fusarium really likes it when it's cool, wet um, conditions early in the season, really promote infection, very similar to what we had had this year. And then you follow that up with hot, dry conditions um, as the plants go into, you know, start to grow uh, into vegetative modes into to get in three, four, five, uh, leaves, or 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 later on in the season, uh, you can see those those symptoms occurring. Basically, you're getting a scorching of the upper leaves, while the say the middle and lower canopy will be more yellow and 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 wither away.
0: So, are we looking at then yield loss as the most significant impact?
2: Most certainly, in some of these fields, we're going to see a yield impact there. And again, it's important to identify. Uh, those those areas from a from a yield perspective so you can confirm uh, issues, uh, why yields are down maybe in those areas than that, but also it provides you with information to plan for next year. We do have seed treatments. You mentioned that, you asked that question earlier, although we don't have the genetics um, behind us for the state Fusarium and Rhizoc, uh, we do have seed treatments that are available and uh, we have some broad spectrum. Treatments um, that, that can help us in terms of reducing maybe some of that early season infection. But a lot of what we see with fusarium, uh, particularly weather drives a lot of it. And then we're going to start seeing, as as we've seen um, over the past week, um, things such as brown stem rot and death syndrome starting to show as well. And then the first disease that often occurs in soybeans. And uh, I saw it uh, a couple of weeks ago already with soybean cyst nematode. And, and soybean cyst nematode is one to, to keep in mind here as well, because a lot of these, all of these uh, diseases I just mentioned, everything from phytophthora to Fusarium rhizoc, brown stem rot and SDS, they're all root rot pathogens. They're all soil-borne pathogens. Soybean cyst nematode is a, a, a wonderful a vehicle or an organism to, to help Promote those or allow those diseases to get into those roots easier by leaving those holes in it. So having soybean as nematode in many cases increases exposure and risk uh, to in those fields to these other diseases. So if you manage, you know, it's important to have an integrated disease management program for all of these diseases. Um, you know, selecting the right varieties, the best varieties that are available with the greatest disease package, as well as maintaining yield, etc. Having uh, fungicide seed treatments, and what we're starting to see on the market is you're starting to see more and more actives um, having being combined um, in combination to get a broader spectrum of uh, of uh, seed seedling or or seed diseases as well.
0: Uh, a lot of this is weather depend- dependent. So how do we you know, I guess plan ahead or make observations this year to make those selections. Um, you know, for next year or for you know the next season uh, when you know, as you say, so much is weather dependent.
2: Yeah. So some of that weather dependency uh, drives a lot of it. You know, as a, as I mentioned earlier, those cool, uh, wet conditions uh, early on in the season favor a lot of uh, these early uh, these root rot uh, seedling or root rot pathogens. Um, so you know, one way is you know, we, we had, and that's part of our first show um, coming up next week for the diagnostic days is what was the impact of those cooler conditions? You know, we always talk about 55 or or more Fahrenheit uh, planting into the warmer, the better to get uh, soybeans or corn uh, emergence uh, going. Although emergence may not have been affected, those conditions by planting earlier may have been um, extremely beneficial for many of these root rot uh, pathogens, so planting early can can increase your risk as well. So so maybe delay planting till those warmer conditions. Of course, you've got to weigh those delayed plantings with the potential uh, yield impact as well. So that's important to to keep in in mind as well. And something else we've noticed in many of these fields is uh, uh, drainage is is a critical component um, here, and particularly on those those tighter soils. Uh, clay soils and that, you can see the tile drains, you know, where the where the water has moved off the fields or, or been able to drain, um, you know, there's less of an impact compared to those areas that continue to either be wet or or cooler, more favorable conditions as well.
0: Now, is there any other disease threats that we should be watching out for? I know we've talked in the past about tar spot and that being an emerging, emerging threat coming out of the U.S. Uh, is that still a concern? Where are we at on that watch?
2: Yeah. So on, on the tar spot side of things, actually, funny you mentioned that. And I was just talking with uh, an hour ago, uh, my good friend from Michigan, Dr. Martin Chilvers. And, uh, you know, tar spot, he found tar spot, uh, a couple of days ago in two or, or in Michigan, it was found. Uh, Marty confirmed it in a couple locations, um, in central Michigan at extremely low levels. And that falls in line with when we've normally seen, um, tar spots start to show up in that Indiana, um, you know, mid, mid U.S., uh, north central area. And also, um, Darcy Telenko, colleague of mine from uh, Purdue University, has also reported detecting it, uh, in the past couple of days in the northwest, um, north, yeah, northeast, northeast portion of of Indiana, which would be the southwest portion of, but it's up to the southwest portion of Michigan. Those two areas there are, from our perspective, the the, the hotspots um, that could have an impact for Ontario. So again, we're in the process of uh, OMAF or myself, uh, where we we track the disease. We will be scouting it um, with our colleagues with Agriculture, agri Canada of Ottawa and our disease surveys. But at the same time, we're feeding this, the network when it comes to tar spot um, and, and many of these other diseases. So we're tracking the disease in real time and we will continue to, to do that and, and keep abreast of, of movement uh, of, of tar spot and its potential risk for us. Now, it's important to remember that we are moving into um, mid-July and that's typical of when we've seen uh, tar spot in the past. These hot, dry conditions though will slow development down Um, unlike a few years ago with the, the wet, uh, conditions or or favorable environmental conditions that allowed Tar Spot to really develop, um, from that hassle to, um, you know, that R2, R3, um, period there. Um, I don't see that right now under these conditions happening. Plus, we need to get the, the, the disease here as well. So for this year, again, it's a look and see. Um, will we see it, you know, there is a there's always a high likelihood uh, that we may see tar spot in 2020. Uh, we do have management tools, and we've seen that from our collaborations with our U.S. colleagues that many of the fungicides that are available um, work quite well on tar spot, and in many cases, even later applications. You know, when we start looking at post tassel, post silking, that R3 uh, grain fill uh, development. Uh, uh, stages uh, have had really good control at, at, at stopping tar spot, but we're not at that situation yet.
0: So, is it inevitable that it will eventually reach Ontario, or is there a way to prevent it from getting here?
2: Well, you know, as we saw last year, it was right up to the border, right up to the Detroit River and Lake St. Clair, and 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 that. Uh, so, it's it's right there. It's it's you know, we can see, we can pro- we can basically see fire spot on the other side. So more than likely it will come, unlike say Goss's wilt, which sort of petered out around that same area that I mentioned in the the northeast Indiana, southwest portion of Michigan. um, Goss's wilt, you know, three or four years ago made its way there and we were anticipating it continuing to move through Michigan and into Ontario. But it stalled. Again, very dependent on environmental conditions, very dependent on Rotations, residues, you know the survivability of of the the pathogen and its ability to overwinter under those conditions. Our spot though has been we've seen that uh, same pattern as we saw with well but it continues to move. And as I said, it it is just on the border with with Ontario. And so, yeah, I would say it it is inevitable. But we we're fortunate that we have the ability to prepare for it. And I think we um by working in partnership with with our colleagues in the US as well as in Ontario and, and the private and public um researchers were able to 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 prepare us so that we can can limit uh potential um issues around uh tar spot and, and that's one of the, the key things that we see we talked about uh research and funding and, and all of that the support that uh, many of us get from the grain farmers of Ontario. Allow us to to have those connections and and to anticipate and uh, provide uh, preventative or um, have our our ducks in order for when when things such as tar spot come in.
0: You mentioned tracking in real time the progress of tar spot. How has I guess the advancements in technology allowed you to do things like that? And is that I guess a benefit to your job right now?
2: Oh, yeah, it's definitely a benefit because, you know, we've got access to multiple maps for different diseases um throughout North America that we never had in the past. So we can find, you know, we can track things uh, real time. We can look at the weather. In many cases, these have computer models associated with them and uh and we can assess the risk to our producers, and, you know, a lot of this started. You know, in two thousand, you know, in the early two thousands, uh, with soybean rust and and those platforms and modeling and um, network and networks that were established, that just now continued on to uh, include many of the other uh, corn, soybeans, wheat, and and other crops um, as a model system. There, so that's definitely helped us in the tracking and in the anticipation and the preparations for for many of these things. It doesn't. I don't need to call 20 different uh, pathologists in each different state in the U.S. to find out where things are. I just need to load up my web page, and, and there I go. It helps a lot.
0: Another benefit that we've seen um, in the past couple of years is participation in different collaborations. And I know you're our director with the Crop Protection Network, which is not just Ontario, but people in the United States as well. Can you tell us a bit about that and sort of what are some of the new things coming out of the Crop Protection Network?
2: Yeah, so the the Crop Protection Network, as you mentioned, is a great example of uh, these collaborations that, you know, again, started with, with soybean rust way back and have, have continued. And um, as you mentioned, Ontario is, is part of that. Uh, we hope to expand that into other parts of uh, Canada, other provinces as well. But as of right now, you know, Ontario is linked in with, with uh, 35 different researchers, 29 different uh, research institutions or, or U.S. states. To, to monitor and uh, look at not only diseases for now in terms of corn, soybeans, and wheat, uh, but also down the road, uh, you know, other, other insect pests and uh, even just general agronomic-related uh, uh, issues in that as well. So uh, the Crop Protection Network, um, actually you can access it at uh, cropprotectionnetwork.org. So Crop Protection Network, all one word. Dot org and you'll find all kinds of resources there we've just re revitalized our our website there uh, there's everything from from publications to uh, for for corn soybeans and wheat uh, one thing that is um, really helpful as we go through efficacy uh, uh, tables you know different fungicides seed treatments a lot of what we were just talking about in terms of these other uh, those root rot diseases there's a lot of data that um, we all provide in there to to look at both foliar diseases and corn, soybeans, and wheat, as well as as seed treatments as well. So it's a great resource. It's a, a one stop shopping one uh, resource. Uh, it's it's shown you know we many of our growers in industry have have utilized it quite well. When we had ear uh, uh, gibberell ear rod and dawn issues a couple of years ago, the top four out of five um, resources used. Um, on crop protection network were related to those. So a lot of our growers in industry, as well as others in the Great Lakes area, looked at it and, uh, it, it became a an important source of that information. Another thing we do also is we track, uh, soybean and corn diseases and, and by tracking them every year and providing yield loss estimates, we're able to anticipate, uh, which diseases are on declining and which ones are increasing, and that's an important piece both from a efficiency standpoint, putting resources together from a research standpoint, extension standpoint, but also say from the grain farmers of Ontario perspective of which which diseases or pests are so um, um, to prioritize as well. so it's being used utilized in many different ways. You're also looking at uh, from there you know the white mold you know white mold is another disease we're getting a lot of calls on. As of right now, and uh, you know, being this hot and dry, um, in most cases the risk is is, is low um, for for white mold at this point. But there is a, a white mold app that was developed through Wisconsin University, of Wisconsin and Michigan State University that Ontario is part of as well. And so there's all kinds of different uh, uh, resources available. So I encourage everybody to to go to the Crop Protection Network dot org as well as Field Crop News and other publications that we have, such as Publication eight twelve the OMAFRA um, field crop uh, uh, guide or field crop protection guide.
0: And if farmers have any questions about what they're seeing in their fields or, or what they read in any of those resources, are they able to reach out to you and contact you? And if so, what's the best way to do that?
2: Oh, absolutely. Anytime um, you know you can call me directly on on my my cell at at area code five one nine three six zero eight three zero seven or email me at Albert. Dot tenuta at Ontario.ca. So again, albert.tenuta at Ontario.ca, anytime.
0: Well, that's great, Albert. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today on our podcast. And uh, thank you for bringing us that update about what's happening with the online conferences and, and all the issues that we're dealing with in the fields right now. I appreciate your time today.
2: Thank you so much and really appreciate this. And, uh, Boy, do I miss being in front of uh, growers in the field at this time. So thanks for the opportunity to, to be part of this.
1: Joining me on the podcast today, I have our chair, Marcus Hurl.
3: How are you doing, Marcus? Oh, not bad. Nice and warm and steamy outside.
1: Oh, yes, it's very hot up here, too. Um, So speaking of the weather, it's been very hot, but a lot of places, rain seems to be very sporadic um, this season. So what are kind of the weather conditions and field conditions looking like around the province?
3: Yeah, so they are quite variable across the province. Uh, So uh, just by saying that um, we are in the midst of our monthly board meeting and uh, with all the restrictions we can't have, face-to-face meetings so we're doing it again uh, virtual and uh, so just had a quick go around from all the board members and the common theme is uh, drought uh, because drought stress is showing up in all crops Um, even winter wheat spring grains uh, are seeing probably some of the biggest effects happening already and showing up on the yield monitors as uh certain areas of the province have started spring wheat harvest uh so i think grain fill is going to be first of all the big challenge on small small cereal grains and uh, now with the drought extending out um uh corn is showing more and more stress especially on the uh, issues that we created in 2019 with uh being such a, a upside down fall um it uh, compaction seems to be the uh, the, the showing factor of drought stress. So, uh, we're certainly hoping that Mother Nature is going to give us uh, some rain coming this coming weekend. But then, by saying that, uh, Northern Ontario and um, District 15 they're actually experiencing uh, somewhat excessive moisture. So uh, we do uh, experience quite a spread between north and south, but in a big sense of saying, uh, we do not have everything in the bin yet.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. And I guess with wheat harvest starting, you don't need a total. Those guys probably don't want a total downpour that'll delay their harvest, but they're going to need it for corn and beans. So um, how is wheat harvest going overall, do you think?
3: Um Again, like uh, South Ontario is basically starting like Essex County, Middle Essex. uh, They're uh, just getting into it. Uh, Other parts of the province, I would say probably a week to a week and a half away from uh, throwing the combines in the field. Uh, Some farmers that have started are saying quality is uh, actually quite decent. Uh, yields, yeah, again, they are up and down. Uh, now, the other thing might be a straw amount might not be the same than the usual year because of the lack of moisture. So, there might be market opportunities for that uh, straw commodity as well that the farmers won't take advantage of if they uh, do have a place to sell it to.
1: Right. All right. Well, I guess we'll hope that it progresses well and things go well and Mm -hmm. hopefully we get some rain um yes so then moving on to uh our AGM actually so like most events this year uh it's going to be virtual in September uh since we expect you know over 150 people to come it's too risky to have that many people together with the current state of things uh so can you tell members a bit about what a virtual AGM will look like and kind of what they can expect
3: yeah, uh so we're uh still in the uh planning stage to finalize everything of how it's going to be rolled out but uh so virtual is basically saying uh, uh in front of uh a computer logging in and uh, uh we hope that most delegates and members that uh, want to attend uh do have uh connection to some uh broadband, internet, uh, because that's basically the usual holdup of uh, why individuals can join. But uh, by saying that, uh, we have to recognize that we uh, as GFO are a member organization and uh, we do want to hear your concerns as the membership, uh, because it's uh, one of our building factors of the organization that we want to capture the as much input from the uh, the members itself and give us some direction of where we need to go plus uh we do have our um annual meeting part that needs to happen uh because uh the financials need to be approved and uh there's uh so we're still in the kind of the um uh finalizing stage on how Uh, voting process can happen and all that. So, uh, because we do have to pass certain items through the uh, regular channel that uh, we need to acknowledge that it's done appropriately and uh, that we comply to the uh, regulations that we're under. And uh, I'm uh, quite confident that uh, we will have uh, probably a communication going out to our membership uh, in the near future to, uh, invite you to the, uh, to the meeting and, uh, how to process, uh, works to log in and, uh, how it's gonna move forward. So uh, again, uh, I'm actually looking forward of, uh, trying this, uh, way of communicating out to our membership of how that's gonna work and, uh, let's hope it's gonna work flawlessly.
1: Yep. Yeah, and that's definitely the challenge for, I think, all ag events is trying to do a virtual event, but, you know, we all know that rural internet can be um a struggle. So hopefully there's, you know, we'll have some, there, people will be able to get connected to the internet or we'll have call-in options that um hopefully all of our members can take part. So we'll mm-hmm. stay tuned for all the details of that. Yes. Um. So then another thing that our members can look out for is a survey that just went out recently. Um, So do you want to talk a bit about that?
3: Yes. So uh, just uh, this uh, beginning of the week, um, another survey was um, approved to go out to our membership to get uh, again, a sense of, what is actually happening in your specific on your specific farm on the impact of covid uh plus marketing issues uh how you're going to see the future of your industry moving forward uh we want to capture that information again from the whole membership so i encourage all of our members that uh, that received the invitation to fill out the uh, the survey please participate because it gives us a lot of information to first of all uh how we're going to have to continue pressuring the governments of addressing the uh BRM shortfalls uh showing basically to the uh, the the bureaucracy of what the impact is from the covid crisis to the grain sector And how much it's going to impact you as a farmer individually in uh, what you're doing in your daily business of how you had to adapt to those changes. So uh, uh, if we look back a couple of months ago, we did have a survey out as well. Um, And again, thank you to all the participants at, uh, at that turnaround. Uh, to have filled that out, because uh, it certainly gave us a good indication of where things are, what the uh, risk levels are, and uh, how we as an organization have to address those specifics. So uh, we use that um, approach now for the second survey to see uh, if anything has changed. And uh, again, I'm probably going to repeat myself here, but uh, but I urge you to fill it out. It doesn't take a lot of time, roughly about six, seven minutes of your time. And uh, it's easily done over the internet. It's uh, just a couple of questionnaires and uh, we're all done. So uh, again, it's uh, one of the things that's going to help us as the GFO board and organization to build some more structure around our outreach to government to uh, help us access some of the uh, the dollars that uh, we require because of the, uh, the impacts that we're facing, because it's not going away, that's for sure. And as uh, this whole pandemic is being stretched out, in the longer time frame uh, nobody knows when it's going to be over and the, what the future is going to look like it's certainly important that we actually have that all documented uh, from our membership
1: mhm exactly and just another thing to make note of on that for our members is that it it was sent out it's the survey is being conducted through campaign research so if you're going through your emails and it doesn't necessarily look like our usual GFO um, branding, just know that it still is legitimate legitimate, and coming from us, from campaign research.
3: Yes, that's right.
1: All right. Well, yeah. And so that's great, Marcus. Uh, thanks for taking the time to talk with me today and give everyone an update. Um, and uh, I guess if you're working outside later today, make sure you stay cool. It is definitely hot out there this week.
3: Yeah, that's, that's correct. Uh, because there seems to be still a few more warm days coming hmm That's for sure. So please be safe and take care of yourselves.
0: Thank you for listening to our Green Talk podcast. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. For more ways to connect with us, including the latest webinar, market report, and our e-newsletter, go to gfo.ca slash A special thank you to our guests this week, Albert Tenuta and Marcus Hurl.
1: If you like what you've heard today, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And remember, five-star reviews help us grow our audience.